You're listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, brought to you by the Raven Creek Social Club, where we talk about faith and other oddities. For questions, comments, or to be part of the conversation, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us at Raven Creek SC. Now for your hosts, Emily Dixon and Nathan Underwood. Hey everyone, welcome back to Faith and Other Oddities. Emily and I are in our respective studios now um, with the way things are going. If, if you're on the YouTube channel, you've already figured out that things are considerably different than they have been. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, of course, not to put too much of a timestamp on this, but this is uh, due to uh, the coronavirus and, and uh, all of that business going on here in 2020. We are, um, we're having to record remotely. Uh, so... Fortunately, I mean, they're, they're kind of starting to relax things, but also we don't want Emily to have to come and, you know, stop at gas stations excessively, uh, driving back yeah. and forth and take something back to, to the family. Um, mm-hmm. So, so far, everyone's managed to stay healthy, which is good. Yes, yes. And we want to keep it that way because we get way too many people <laughs> that we've yeah. got to protect. Yes. So we are, we're, we're doing our best to do that and we are going to be um recording remotely and this might actually depending on how it works out uh might kind of be the new way we do stuff uh i don't want to use the phrase new normal because <laughs> we don't have one of those anyway um but we are doing what we can uh it, emily did get a generous donation from her husband to uh purchase a, <laughs> yes. a small studio set up in uh in her place so she's She's doing that business, and we're we're gonna keep plugging away and and putting together uh, crazy Bible study stuff for you guys. And we also my appreciate crash, what my crash course in technology here. So yeah, yeah. So this is the first one we we're doing remotely. Hopefully, uh, everything will come together and and work the way it's supposed to. And yeah. uh, I appreciate Emily. I appreciate you. Uh, uh you know, going through a, a very fast uh, self tutorial on <laughs> on garage band and and focus right interfaces and things like that uh so thank you focus right and sweetwater well, this is... <laughs> oh man okay yeah sweetwater not a sponsor but they have been phenomenal with their customer support and making sure i knew how to use this stuff i mean i didn't have to consult them because i had you right but Right. At the same time they've just been amazing so yeah not affiliated or anything but good grief great company to work with. Yeah, yeah. So if you have any audio needs, uh call those guys. They're they are fantastic. I actually have pr- I purchased a, a few things and I actually I pre-ordered one thing one time and this is sounding like a commercial for them, but it's not. But one time <laughs> I pre-ordered something from them and I knew it was pre-ordered because the item hadn't been released by the company yet. Uh it, but it was such a great pre-order deal that I thought it was, you know, worth risking the money if it worked half as well as advertised. And I got a call from the their one of their reps and uh He's like, I just want to let you know that that item's not in stock, but we'll get it to you as soon as that. I'm like, yeah, I, I, of course it's not in stock. It's mm-hmm. not released yet. So, um, yeah, great guys. They they take care of you. And uh, actually, I guess guys and and ladies. Uh, I have. I've only talked to the guys. Well, so. say I, I know that they do have some <laughs> some women who work for them as well. Because uh, I have received a, a my rep in the past was a woman, I think, and so. Uh, she did a fantastic job as well. So, uh, but yeah, but you're not here to, to find out where to buy gear. You're here to, I mean, there's, there's plenty of other YouTube channels devoted to that kind of thing. So <laughs> we just, 
Yeah, we're just customer service nerds, kind of junkies, well, because we both work customer service. Yeah, we, yeah, we both worked so much retail over the years that yeah, we are we're definitely big on uh, customer service and taking care of people. Um, I've spent plenty and of time. And it's a good witness. <laughs> a- absolutely, absolutely. So, but we we can get onto that topic another day. I think we should probably. Uh, Probably roll ahead on return the, to Samuel. Return to Samuel. Let's 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 get out of our history and get to ancient history. Speaking of good witnesses, uh, so yeah, we're we're picking up in chapter twelve, and this is Samuel's farewell address. And you know, Saul's been confirmed king at this point. It's been like three times. So if you don't realize he's king, you haven't been paying attention. But this is kind of the moment for Samuel to kind of step aside. And he's stepping aside as the judge, not the prophet, because he's still going to function as a prophet right on up until David becomes king. Yeah. So even though it's a farewell address, it's not like the end of Samuel. And for some people, that's been really, um, really confusing because they think, oh, well, why is he saying goodbye if he's still hanging around? But well, yeah, when you realize the context... Well, it's not so much a farewell as in he's leaving. It's more of, it's almost, it's like a concession speech more than anything. It it really kind of is maybe a retirement speech a sure. little bit yeah. because, you know, he, he isn't going to be leading Israel anymore. That's going to fall on Saul's shoulders at this point. And this is also very traditional whenever um, a leader steps aside, because in Exodus 19, we have Moses um, address at Sinai, and then we have Joshua's farewell address in Joshua 24. So once again, we have those connections with Samuel back to Moses, back to Joshua, and following very much in the tradition of that leadership that's both prophetic, it's a warrior, he's governing the people, and Samuel's really the last person who falls into all those roles. So he he continues those traditions. But um, we also have these connecting themes between those three different um, events in Exodus 19, Joshua 24, and Samuel 12. And they begin with an appeal to um, God's spiritual deliverance from Egypt. All three times that they're mentioned, because that's really important. And I think, I was thinking about this the other day, um, so often in Christianity, I think we forget how important that um, connection to our past is, and telling ourselves those important stories to remember how great God is and what he has done in the past, mm-hmm. not just for us as an individual, but also as, you know, as a people. And so, and we forget that being in the, um, being a Christian now means that we're, this part of the Jewish heritage and history is part of our Jewish, is not our Jewish, but our history and, and heritage as Christians. So we, I think we need to remember that. But there's also a reminder that there's this collective obligation to God as a nation, as a covenant community. So all three times, the guys bring it back right. to that. And if you're going to be part of God's covenant community, you have to do these things. So we also see a blessing for obedience and a curse for disobedience. And uh, that's very common in, in the Old Testament covenant. If you want God to help you, you do certain things. Right. And I think there's a change, you know, in, in in New Testament Christianity, we kind of move away from that idea and stop thinking about those things because we are saved by grace through faith and or faith through grace. I always get those two mixed up, but y'all guys get what I'm saying. 
<laughs> so well, well not... yeah, well, and I, I think part of the reason that we do that uh, is that we do put the emphasis on salvation, and we don't think of blessing as in physical blessings. A lot of times, when we're talking about our spiritual things with church and whatnot, and I, right. I think that's what why we do that. I mean, because especially, especially in a lot of the, the Baptist spheres, and mm-hmm. and it goes and I not to get too off topic, but I think we were, we were talking about this a little bit the other day when we were talking about just kind of this idea that that's crept into the church, that the, the soul is good and the, the body is bad mm-hmm. and things that are mm-hmm. physical are bad. So if you're having a good time, you're, you must be in What sin. are you doing wrong? Yeah. That's, yeah. that's kind of, the, uh, that's an attitude that I think was, was very prevalent in a lot of the, the teaching we got growing up. And we don't realize that that's not that's not in our history, our faith history. I mean, that that was something that was imported when when we started bringing in Greek thought and ideology, and we really see Paul talking against that with the Gnostics. And well, so the proto Gnostics. It's true. <laughs> yes, uh, and there's some debate on that, but yeah, you probably more accurately the proto Gnostics and and the idea that you know the spiritual is good, flesh is bad, and with We've got to quit doing that because in Judaism, what God originally presented is that the whole person mm-hmm. is good. The mm-hmm. whole being is, is good. In I mean, now we can talk about the corruption of sin and all of that, and that, that comes in later. But as a created being, we're not necessarily bad. Now, we can we do bad things? Absolutely. So, uh, and we won't get into, you know, original sin and all of that good stuff. But I think we need to hang on to the fact that First and foremost, we are God's creation, and that includes our bodies. And so the physical side of things isn't evil in and of itself. So uh, I will rein myself in on that topic. Sure. So, <laughs> the, 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 the final connection is the theophanic sign. How's that for a great um, theological term there? Theophanic sign is the um, it, you, God shows up. So God, God makes himself known. We get to see uh, his presence. Mm-hmm. We get to see his confirmation that the words are accurate. And so the primary message is even if Israel has a king, there's still a nation that belongs to God. And the, uh, the fact that God has not relinquished them to anyone else, including a king, and particularly not a king, because kings are often seen as little mini gods or little representations of other gods. Right. So this is why Israel can't be released to another god, even if it's a god or a king that he that God selected himself. It has to be a continuation where God is flowing through this king and letting his will be known. So, um. The the timing of the speech is kind of up for debate because some scholars are going to tell you that it happens right after that third confirmation that, that Saul is king. Some are going to say it happens years later. The truth is we, we really don't know uh, because the Bible, you know, it, if the Bible writers think it's not critical to the story or the theological messaging, they don't include it. So right. this is one of those times where they don't tell you anything. Uh, I do lean towards the idea that it is more towards the time of uh, Saul's final anointing and confirmation as king, because this is the point in time where Israel ceases to need a judge. This is a new era. Right. So to me, that makes sense. So let me see where I'm 
getting yeah. off my notes here. <laughs> no, you're fine. So, yeah, just... but... sorry. <laughs> yeah, got, we got just enough of a lag. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, I think we're kind of getting used to it. I think, I think it won't be too much of an adjustment because I mean, we have been talking on the phone quite a bit. But, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think one of the things to, to keep in mind here is Samuel's personality is fully on display. He is, he's controlling the entire scene. He's not going to share the spotlight for one moment. And he's going to explain exactly what God thinks of the people's demand for a king and what they should do now that they have one. And we are going to find out kind of how the reader should view what seems to be contradictory up to these points. If you remember going back, and for me, it seems like forever. I know for listeners, it was just last week. But we go back to that idea that there is this um, contradiction in the way that God says, no, th this is wrong that they want a king, but then he still gives them a king. So, so Samuel's going to explain how God kind of reconciles all of those points together in this speech. And um, it, it's, I think it's very interesting because it shows how relational uh, God is. So let's pick up in verses one and two, good place to start. And it says, and Samuel said to all of Israel, behold, I have obeyed your voice and all that you have said to me. And I have made a king over you. And now behold, the king walks before you and I am old and gray and behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. So you know, he's reminding them, you wanted a king. I did what you asked. This is where, where he, he starts out. I obeyed your voice. This is 100% on you. I didn't want to do it. God told me to do it because God's listening to you as a nation. And the king walks before them. When, when the Bible uses that phrase, to walk before, it means that somebody is doing something on behalf of another person. Okay. So now the king is serving the nation. That's what his role is supposed to be. Samuel has walked before the nation. He served the nation as a prophet. So the fact that now he's saying the king is going to take over, uh, this is kind of a sad moment for, for Samuel. So that's what that, that phrase, anytime you see it, now you can know that this is supposed to be someone who's supposed to serve. And it's going to set up that contrast between the times when Samuel was walking before the nation and now that Saul's walking before the nation. So Samuel's old and gray. Uh, we kind of talked a little bit about this before, that you know he, he was being aged prematurely because he did literally walk through the nation, going to those four cities year after year and doing the religious ceremonies at each place so that all the nation could participate. Yeah. And the, the tradition says he dies at 52, which, you know, in biblical times, that's not an old age at all. And um, there's, you know, how accurate the tradition is, who knows? Uh, it really doesn't matter. So, but it, it is interesting to point out that he's always been kind of viewed as that grumpy old man that I keep talking about. Right. So uh, the other thing he points out is my son's are with you. And there, there's two ways to read this. One is he's saying that his sons are not aristocracy, that they don't want to rule over the people. Mm -hmm. That's the most positive, generous way we can read it. Uh, the other one is that Samuel's actually condemning his sons, that they're just as guilty of wanting a king as everybody else. Hmm. Yeah. How you read that is going to kind of depend on your view of, of you know, Samuel really, it's, it's interesting when you look at the family relationships in this book, 
because most of the time they're not healthy relationships. They're not what we would consider loving or, um, you know, very nurturing. But we but that's also a theme throughout most of the prophets. Um, you know, Abraham wouldn't be considered father of the year after the event with Isaac and Ishmael kicking him out. And then Moses, man, there's a, the whole thing with Zipporah and the circumcision of his son. And, and there seems to be this ongoing theme of, of really bad family relationships in the lives of these men who were called. And then, you, then of course, we've got speculation about why that is. But um, I think part of it is just the fact that they're supposed to be so separate. And that kind of separateness really doesn't make for good family relationships. And this is part of the reason why I think Paul talks about being single. If you've got that gift, be single. Serve the Lord. Your sure. life is going to be easier because of it. So now that Samuel has given us his resume, uh, he demands that his service be judged. And in verse three and four, um, he, he says, here I am, testify against me before the Lord and his anointed. So basically, if you've got a problem with me, let's bring it up here. Let's clear the air before God and the king. We, we are not going to draw this out and you're not going to badmouth me afterwards. Let's just get it over with. And right. he goes through this list of things. So he's got the ox. He didn't take an ox. He didn't take a donkey. He hasn't defrauded anyone. He hasn't oppressed anyone. He hasn't taken a bribe. So three out of five of those things are includes the word take. Mm -hmm. And he's contrasting himself with the king who is going to take. And remember his warning against the king. The king's going to take all of these things from you. He's going to take your ox. He's going to take your donkey. He's going to take your, your children. And so we're setting up this compare and contrast motif that's going to run throughout the rest of the, uh, uh, the speech. Mm -hmm. So, okay, get me a drink here. Oh, you're good. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I really didn't have a whole lot. I read through this real quick, and then nothing <laughs> really jumped out at me. So I'm kind of relying on you on this. I have a, not a lot to bring to this particular conversation. <laughs> Sorry. You know, it seems pretty straightforward. Um, that what, what I found interesting, it doesn't really get interesting until you begin bringing in Moses. And, and we're actually getting there because in this passage, he is echoing the words of Moses. If you look back at Numbers 16, 15, Mos this is what uh, it reads. It says, And Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, Do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them. And I have not harmed one of them. Now, this passage, we're going to take a little rabbit trail here. This passage in number 16 is known as Korah's Rebellion. This okay. is one of the craziest overlooked stories in the Bible. And I'm beginning to think at some point we're going to have to do numbers because everybody says how boring it is. There's some really great stories in there. So the, the basics are that the, um, there's a group of Levites, they're not sons of Aaron, and they get mad at Moses and Aaron for leading them out into the wilderness. And they make the claims, all the, all the congregation is holy, and Moses and Aaron should not have exalted themselves over the assembly of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And they, they, claim, yep, they claim that Moses and Aaron have made themselves princes. Now, prince, that's the same word that we're talking about with Saul. Saul's being made a prince over the nation. Mm -hmm. Here in, in number 16, the people say it's a bad thing. And here in Samuel, it, it, it's saying it's a good thing. So which way is it going to go? But the, uh, the basic 
claim that boils down to is that Aaron and Moses are not special, that they do not deserve any kind of um, any kind of special treatment or recognition as as a leader. But the problem is, like every leader who's ever promised universal equality to their people, that these people leading the rebellion try to insert themselves as the leaders. Right. And this is any time in history you see this. Hey, we're everybody needs to be equal. Somebody's going to step up and try to be a leader of that movement for equality. It's unavoidable. Mm -hmm. And oh yeah, <laughs> and we won't go into politics, but <laughs> no, it, well, it, it's just true. Uh, you know, we you people need a leader, mm -hmm. but oh, mm -hmm. guess it guess it's me because I'm the one who had the idea. <laughs> Look at me, how brilliant I am. Yeah. And so. I'm going to point out how oppressed you are. So, yeah. Well, and Moses and Samuel both, they, they say, hey, let's let God judge. Let's, let's put this right up there in front at the get-go. And we aren't just going to leave it to the people to make this decision. Let's call jo uh, job, call God to weigh in on this. And um, God is angry. And he's so angry at the sons of... Um, of Korah for rising against the, the leadership and, and for doubting that this is the leadership that he's appointed, he threatens to destroy the entire congregation, i.e. the nation of Israel, but Moses intercedes for them. And God, you know, God responds to Moses' uh, prayer or else we wouldn't have the book of Samuel. Sure. And uh, God tells Moses and the people, draw back from the sons of Korah, get away from them. And um, Moses once again affirms, I haven't done anything except for what God's told me to do. And this is going to be the sign, the theophanic sign. This is where you're going to know that God is making this judgment, not human beings. And uh, so Moses provides his, his words to explain this. And then he talks about Korah's sin and reaffirms he's the true leader. And the sign that he describes is that the sons of Korah will not die like men. So if you're a divine counsel worldview person, uh, you know, there's a great, fascinating story to go into there with mm -hmm. Psalms 82. And I didn't go into it because if we go back and deal with this even more fully, I, I think that'd be a good place to do this. But God says he's going to do a new thing. And the sons of Kor uh, Korah will go down alive into Sheol. So number 1633. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive to Sheol and the earth closed over them and they died in the midst of the assembly. So. God wants to make it clear you don't rise up against appointed leadership. And Samuel, you know, when he's giving this speech before Israel with the anointing of Saul, I, I have to wonder how many people remembered this event and are shaking. You know? Oh, yeah, it'd be terrifying. <laughs> it, it, it really, it, it is. And there's even more connections because... Um, God, after this happens, he sends fire and kills 250 more men. And then the rest of the assembly, they get mad at Moses at this point and said, look what you've done. You've killed them. And of course, you know, Moses didn't do it. So God gets mad at him again and sends a plague. And this time, 14,700 people die. And it's not until God, uh, Moses and Aaron run literally run to make an atonement to stop the plague, to stand between the people and God's judgment, that it stopped. Right. And so Samuel, you know, his, his 
pulling on this the story and this vocabulary, I, I think he really, really wants the people to understand how big of a problem it is that they've anointed a king. But he he reminds them that God, just like a core, God's going to be the witness, and God's going to be one the one who decides whether they acted justly or not. And so he continues on with this uh, with his speech and verses 6 through 13 he re he recounts Israel's history the deliverance from Egypt God sending Moses and Aaron sorry settling in the new land and how the people forget God but he provides this is I think this is really interesting and this is something you've really got to pay attention to to see in the scripture but he provides these lists in those verses and he begins with the three oppressors that God sold Israel to now, the first one is Sisera, and then it's the Philistines, and then the king of Moab. Mm -hmm. uh, so if, you, if you've gone through Judges, the, you'll remember these, these names. And these judges are the ones, uh, the judges who respond to those particular situa situations. Um, Sisera is Deborah. Uh, the Philistines, uh, the first time is Shamgar. And then the king of Moab, Eglon, uh, the, the judge there is Ehud. And these are the three with the least commentary. Uh, these are the three that definitely don't have any kind of implicit or explicit uh, critique from the scripture against them. Mm -hmm. And so he's reminding them that when you're oppressed, it's because it's God's judgment against you. It's not something that somebody else has managed to do. This is God's direct action. But then he goes to his next list. And this is um, Jerubbabel, which if you remember back in Judges 6.32, that's an alternate name for Gideon. Mm -hmm. And then we have Badan. Now, we don't have a judge named Badan in the book of Judges. Uh, what we think this is, is a textual corruption. And there's two different ways it could read. Some people say that would be Barak. Uh, the, the letters there are really close. It's kind of like the difference between an R and a P or a Q and an O. Yeah. Very yeah. similar formation. Yeah. But um, again, not, not certain, but there's also that it means son of Dan. So if, he's, if it's son of Dan, Ben Dan, which would make sense, it works linguistically, then he's sure. talking about Samson. The um, third one is Jephthah who offered his daughter up in a vow. Right, right. So if you combine these two lists, both the people that God sold Israel to and then the different judges, you have all the major conflicts of judges in that little synopsis. Mm -hmm. And the, the thing is, the, um, when you put them together, Samuel puts himself with the judges that were the most problematic. And Samuel intentionally includes himself with Samson. And if that is, or with Gideon, who built the shrine, mm -hmm. with Samson, I mean, good grief, he's all sorts of crazy. And then Jephthah with his daughter, you have to ask yourself, why didn't he include himself in that first list? Why didn't he put himself with the judges who quote unquote succeeded? Um, there's, there's some debate there. Some people say it's humility. I have to ask if he didn't feel like he had failed in some way, that if the people wouldn't have asked for a judge, if they had actually understood 
you know, and, and appreciate it. If he had fulfilled his job as a judge, that's what I'm saying. If he had been a good enough judge, yeah. would they have asked for somebody else? Right. Well, and I think it, it's not so much uh, Samuel. And I think if Samuel's thinking if he had been a better judge, the people would have been more obedient. I think that's just kind of a little bit narcissistic. <laughs> and I mean, to the to the point where, I mean, even God has to go, hey, Samuel, they're, they're, it's me. It's not it's not you that they're the people are rejecting. Yeah. Samuel, I, I think that's one of the things I like about him, though. He's not a perfect judge. I mean, none of the none of the judges and none of the prophets are perfect. But Samuel, his flaws are kind of a little bit on display. And that's right. kind of for everyone throughout the whole book. But you can kind of I can identify with this guy. I mean, I can I can. Yeah. God, let me just go kick him in the shins and we can get this straightened out. They just need a little persuasion. Yeah. Let well, me. <laughs> yeah. No, I do. Well, well, in a close pastor friend of ours, I'm not going to disclose his name. Uh, <laughs> he once said that um, he he goes, I find myself feeling like, God, if I could just manipulate people just a little more, I could get so much more done for you. I think this is the one who also said if he could be a little bit more like J.R. Ewing, for those of us old enough to remember who J.R. Ewing was. <laughs> I know who he was, but I'm not familiar enough to know the personality of it. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I, I think that is one of the temptations we have to fight as Christians. Um, you know, we know what, we're, what we want is right. We, we know what we want is to, to do better and gain more and, and actually be there for God. And sometimes our intentions are really, really pure. But it's really tempting to use impure motives or impure means to try to fulfill those wants. Right, right. And I, I think we have to, to guard against that. And um, a little bit of a rabbit trail. I was interacting on Facebook, doing a lot of that these days, as most of us are. and. You know, I'm really shocked at the number of Christians who are willing to misrepresent either the Bible or another teacher in order to prove a point. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we have got to quit that. We have got to stop thinking that God is honored by us lying about people we disagree with. I, it, it's not cool. And I, I'm, it makes me mad because not only are we just destroying our own credibility, we're the, destroying the credibility of all of our brothers and sisters, and we're destroying the credibility of God and his word, or, you know, at least making it appear that way. Well, you so, know, it's, it's the, the taking God's name in vain uh, quote. You know, it, it, people don't think about what that actually means. And I was listening to uh, uh, Tim Mackey recently, one of his messages, because he was talking about the Sermon on the Mount and how, mm -hmm. you know, the don't swear on, uh, don't swear on heaven or the throne or, you know, even your own head, mm -hmm. th that passage. How that's actually talking about the command not to um, take God's name in vain, and it's it's mm -hmm. saying don't don't start with your agenda, then attach God's name to it, uh, because if you do that, then it does it, it ruins God's credibility, uh, and, and at least in the eyes of the world. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. So. And, and yeah. Then, I, go ahead. I, I, was, I, I was thinking of another instance of another podcast I was listening to where they straight up misquoted the like completely butchered the quote. And again, whenever I try to quote things, I'll say, yeah, yeah this is a paraphrase, but this was, they said mm -hmm. it as though it was what the Bible said. I'm like, that's not how that verse goes. And I went, <laughs> I looked it up and I was so mad. I actually called Emily. I'm like, you right called after me. I'm like, you will not believe what these guys just said. Uh, so anyway, 
Go ahead. Well, I, well, and that's the reason uh, that, you know, we try to encourage people, you know, don't just take our word for it. Research, look and see what's actually in there. And if we mess it up, call us on it. Yeah. I mean, we we want to do well in this. And, you know, it's kind of scary. I, I think anybody who does this kind of work needs to be a little bit afraid. And, you know, I don't think God's setting up there with a checklist going, mm, yeah, she mispronounced that and she said this wrong. And, you know, but at the same time, because I honor God, I need to present him well. And anything less is me trying to be more than God is. Right, right. And and like you said with the checklist, you know, we, we, we're doing the best we can. And sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes we, we misspeak. But, you know, at the end of the day, I just have to go, you know, God's grace is always going to be bigger than my theology. <laughs> yeah, thank God for that. I, and that's the thing. Nobody's dependent on us getting it right, but we, we do want to introduce you to the one who is right always. So anyway, we'll, we'll, I'll quit preaching. Uh, but the, the thing is with this list of judges that Samuel's talking about, if you look at Saul's reign, uh, he has connections to all of the, all of the judges that have a problem. Uh, he's going to make unauthorized sacrifices, just like Gideon made that shrine where sacrifices and the worship of uh, whatever it was, the ephod he had there. Uh, he's going to fight Philistines like Samson, and he's going to make those rash vows just like Jephthah. So Saul really becomes the worst of the worst uh, mm -hmm. as far as leadership goes. And I think think Samuel's doing that intentionally. Now, I did not find any other teacher saying this, but I think Samuel is doing it very intentionally that he's connecting Saul with those flawed judges and saying, when you want leadership that you demand, this is all you're going to get. And so um, I, I think this is kind of a commentary and a foreshadowing of what's going to happen in the nation of Israel. So... Well, I, I'm, and I don't know if this is a good place for this, but it, it, to me, it, it, I'm thinking of this as the people are getting farther and farther and farther away from where God wants them in general. And mm -hmm. if you look at a king being a representative of a God on earth, and mm -hmm. God, and they, they go to Samuel and they say, we want, we want a king like all the other nations. I think, uh, to me, I, this, it seems like he's, it's kind of a, and, and I don't, I could be totally off base, but I, I almost see kind of a, like this being like a microcosm of that, uh, Deuteronomy 32 idea where God, uh, sends, you know, he, he dis disowns the other nations. Mm -hmm, and I think mm -hmm. this is kind of a miniature kind of disowning He's like, I'm going to let you follow a King that, that has, that embodies the spirit of the people, uh, yeah. of, of, of what, of your selfish desire. And I, I feel like, you know, he's, he's not, you know, I don't want to say he's taking his hands completely off the wheel or anything, but he's saying, mm -hmm. if that's what you want, I'll let you have it for a while. I, I think that's definitely what's happening here. I, I think it's okay. You threw a fit. You can have your way and let's see how much you really like it. But I also see it as the people would not have been ready for David. If David had showed up on the scene, first off, they would have been completely blown away. And there's several reasons for that. And we're, we're going to be looking at that a lot when we get into the story about um, Saul and Jonathan and mm -hmm. their interactions. But the Saul is, in many ways, he's very pious. He's very oriented around the forms of religion. Mm -hmm. And 
this is what gets him in trouble. He, he doesn't follow the leading of the spirit. He doesn't consult the prophet. I mean, he's got Samuel right there mm-hmm. and he's not listening. And this is the reason why he can't be a king, because if he can't listen to God speaking to him directly through you know, a human being, a voice that he can trust, then he, he doesn't deserve the throne. Right. And and he's not at the same time, he's not fully inhabiting that role as king. But anyway, we'll get more into that because Saul's kind of fascinating. I, I think most of us, if we're going to be honest, we're more like Saul than we are David. And, you know, I know sometimes well, it's a little bit. Sometimes I <laughs> sometimes, especially if we if we talk about just kind of the bumbling idiot part, like we we have in the past few weeks, I definitely <laughs> feel like that a lot. But uh, no, I, and actually, what, just to uh Real quick, what you're saying, I need to go back and review it on uh, Brueggemann's uh, In Man We Trust, but he does talk about that, and I don't know if this is where you're going with that, but how Saul was was trusting the religious rites and things to a point where it was very, very much borderline just superstition at times. Very much, very much so, and we see that as he goes into the battle with the Philistines. And, I mean, there are so many uh, things that point back to— Eli's sons and other things that the judges did that were just flat out wrong and got people in trouble. So yeah, definitely that was that's part of his story. And when we start to treat religion like superstition, then we're only going to get what superstition can give us, and you know which isn't much. Right. And so (laughs) I I think this is where we have to respect the fact that God is relational, and he, he proves that so often. And, you know, I'm not saying that he's going to violate his word or you know, he's going to lead us astray. And if or if we try to follow his word with the proper motivation and that's where it comes in, it's, it really is that heart issue about being a motivation, not about having motives. Right. And I think that's where Saul falls short. He always has a motive for everything he does. There's nothing he just does out of the goodness of his heart. Right. And the Bible's very clear about that. So anyway, but we'll get to that point <laughs> in a moment. But um, verse 12, and I'm going to read that just because I need to remember what it is. We've talked about everything else. And, um, and when you saw, yeah, am I right? Yeah, we're talking about uh, Saul's uh, battle with the Amorites, Ammonites, sorry, not Amorites, Ammonites. And he says, when you saw Nachash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. So he's reminding them once again. Hey, this is what you wanted. And he's focusing very much on the present. Uh, he set, brings us back to memory the fact that Nakash and the, the Ammonites were a major motivator and Saul did fight them. And he, he sets up this deliberate uh, contrast pre- where the, they'd previously been oppressed and threatened by other nations. And the people repent. In Judges, there's, there's a cry for help. Even though there's not repentance, there's a cry for help. Mm-hmm. The people don't ask God for help. They said, you need to send us a king. Uh, they weren't looking for a deliverer and a judge, a, representat- a representative of God as a spiritual leadership. They wanted a governmental form of leadership. And that's problematic. So Brueggemann, which you just brought up, he actually says, if the people would have repented and God had God would have heard and sent a judge to deliver. So basically, if the people had said, hey, there's a problem here, we need help, then God would have sent someone in order to fulfill that role as a judge. And Mm -hmm. he would have been a deliverer just like he had before. But 
this is not what the people do. And I think Samuel, Samuel wanted them to do this. I think he thought that was the right and proper thing for them to do. And right. But instead they, they said, here's the problem and here's how we want you to fix it. As opposed to saying, there's a problem. How should we proceed? Right. Well, and that, and that's, always a problem in the Bible. Anytime people decide, hey, this is the way I'm going to do it, and then, hey, God, I need you to give me your approval for this, mm-hmm. uh, God will sometimes say, you won't go back to the story of the, the Civil War uh, there with uh, against Benjamin and everybody else with the Levite and the concubine and everything mm-hmm. that, that followed up. Should we go out? God, go ahead. Have fun with that. Let's see how this works for you. Um, you know, I, right. And, and that's generally how it works. Now we do have exceptions to that. Like we have, uh, Elijah who he's one of the few who got away with going, this is how it's going to be. Well, Elijah and God had a totally different relationship from anybody else in the Bible. I mean, that's true. That's very true. And I'm, I can't wait to get to that. That's going to be real interesting. uh, Of some of my favorite stories in there. So, um, but back to Samuel, Samuel's explaining that the king was, pers- was provided only because the people had rejected God's rule. And the problem is, even though they had rejected God's rule, God hadn't rejected them. God still says they're mine, and everybody else in the world still knew they belonged to God. So there has to be a provision in there to re- retain ownership, and retain honor, despite the fact that God is allowing the people to have their way. And, and so God adapts. And I think we see this in the Bible, but we fail to realize how many times God just adapts. He says, you know, I can work with this. Mm-hmm. If this is all you're going to give me, I can make use of this. I mean, we see it with the loaves and fishes. Um, we don't always think of it that way. But God says, you know, it, I can take whatever you've got. Mm-hmm. And even if it's not offered with the right attitude, I, I can make it, make it work. This is the perks of being sovereign yeah. and being omnipotent. And it doesn't mean that God's less than because he didn't just map out this little trail that people were going to have to follow no matter what. It means he's greater than anything we can do and ever will do. And so until we accept the fact that he is the highest power, no matter what may come against him, I I don't think we're ever going to appreciate or even begin to appreciate how big he is and how great he is. And so I, I... you know, we talked about the both sides of the chessboard at one point in time. You know, if you're playing both sides, it doesn't matter if you win. Who cares? So, um, again, I think this goes back to him being re- relational. So, also, I should point out in there that even though God gives them a king, he does set the parameters. He mm-hmm. doesn't just let them run wild. So, there is that element of, I'm not going to let you hurt yourself too much. Right. I'm going to set some boundaries because I still care. And I'm still going to make sure that, you know, it, it's like your kids and, you know, I'll let you climb this high on the playground equipment, but you aren't ready for that piece yet. Sure, sure. It's, and so it's a, you know, it's, it's a parenting thing. So in Samuel 14 and 15 and verses 14 and 15, Samuel lays out three parameters. He says that you're going to have to serve, obey, and not rebel. Mm-hmm. And the list applies to both the people and the king. The king might rule over the people, but God rules over the king. And the problem is now the nation's going to be judged by the king, not by their their own actions. You know, remember back in Judges, if the judge failed, 
yeah, they might lead people astray, but the people weren't being judged for the judge's decision. They were being judged for their own behaviors as a people. Now the people are going to be held accountable for what the king does. And, you know, if you've got people like Saul, or you've got one person who's going to be in charge of your spiritual, financial, physical well-being, it better be somebody you can trust. And it needs to be somebody that you can count on to reliably do what God has called him to do. And th in this way, God redeems the story of Saul to because it becomes a contrast of what a good king is supposed to be. I mean, all the kings of Israel are going to fail. They're going to mess it up right. somehow. And so there's only one king that we can really say, we want to be judged by his merit, not anybody else's. We, we need to be judged according to what he does. And of course, that's Jesus. Right. And this is the reason why it's so important that he is king, not just of Israel, but of the, of the world. So I, I, I love the fact that God says, you know, I, I can take all this and turn it into something that's going to glorify me. Right. So, but um, in 15b, Samuel says, the hand of the Lord is going to be against you and your king. Now, you never want to hear that the hand of the Lord is going to be against you because every time the hand of the Lord's mentioned, pretty much we're going to be dealing with plagues. Mm -hmm. uh, Exodus 9, 3, the, the hand of the Lord was the cause of the plagues in Egypt. Deuteronomy 2.15, the hand of the Lord is against the people in the wilderness. Judges 2.15, uh, the hand of the Lord is against Israel. Uh, and so it, it really becomes something that you don't want to hear, but, but he's saying God's going to be against you. He's going to judge you when you and your king mess up because you are. Samuel already knows this. He doesn't need anyone to spell it out. And it could be because he's a great prophet. It could also be because he knows human beings. Both are equally valid. So um, Samuel promises not a new thing like Moses did in his speech. He, he promises that guy is going to do a great thing. He's going to give a sign to confirm that everything Samuel says. And, you know, like I said, Moses did the same thing in number 16. And it demonstrates that both Moses and Samuel can be trusted as prophets. If God's going to respond with a sign, then obviously God is with their words. And it also shows that God is responsive to his prophets, and mm -hmm. which makes sense because the prophets and God have this really intimate relationship. And it also is to remind people just straight up, you should be afraid. When you rebel against God, you should be afraid. Uh, you just don't do that. So just like Moses, like we were talking earlier with number 16, uh, Samuel describes the sign. There's The wheat harvest is going to be decimated because it's going to be a dry season. God's going to send thunder and rain in a time where, you know, if you're a farmer, you realize there's times you don't want thunder and rain. You need it to be dry. And, you know, the thunder is equated with the voice of God. You know, Psalms 29, seven times. God, God's voice and thunder are, are put up there as equivalent. Mm -hmm. So, verse 17b, And you shall know that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord, in asking for yourselves a king. So, I mean, he, he's not saying it's okay. He's wanting it to be very clear that this was a lack of faith that the people had demonstrated. So, verse 18, the storm shows up, and 
it demonstrates not only does God listen to Samuel, but it demonstrates that they didn't need a king. That they were being foolish and asking for one. They had a prophet and God responds to his prophet. Why do you need a king if you've got a prophet? Mm-hmm. And the, it, but the, it, the people, they just don't get it. They, they, they get very scared of God. They get scared of Samuel in this moment, but they don't repent and they don't retract their request. I mean, if they could have taken that moment and said, oh, wait a minute, this is not a good idea. Let's rethink this. The story would have been different. But instead, they, they, they cling to this idea that they've got to have this king. And if they don't have a king, then they, they're just going to you know, have a hissy fit or something. So in verse 19, they say, And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God. Notice that your God. That we may not die, for we have added to all of our sins this evil to ask for ourselves the king. So they even recognize that it's evil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. They don't even say, oh, I shouldn't have done this. They're like, oh, yeah, we screwed up, um, but we're going to keep going. And, you know, and we've talked about before how being a prophet requires that you pray for the people. So Samuel, even in the midst of being surrounded by these people who recognize they're sinning and aren't refusing to quit, they aren't repenting, he's still going to to uh, pray for them. And I love his response. because. Verse 20, he says, do not be afraid. Uh, you know, nice comforting words here. You have all done this evil. I mean, <laughs> it's like, I'm not even going to mince words about it. Yeah, you're evil. And then he says that, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve him with all your heart. So do not turn aside. This is idol worship talk. This is talking about being... Um, uh, being drawn away to worship other gods and Samuel saying, you know, don't, don't do that. Even if you've got a king, you still got to remain faithful in this area. Serve him with all your heart. So that's a, that continuation of that contrast. So this is what you don't do, but this is what you do. And um, the, the king, well, where am I at? King takes prophets, Oh, prophets and judges do not. That, remember the, the contrast set mm-hmm, before mm-hmm. at the beginning. So uh, we're, we're still continuing with, with the contrast. Forgive me. Sometimes my, my ideas don't get translated well. It happens. Don't worry. <laughs> so <laughs> verse 21, uh, he says, Do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. Now that seems a little repetitive, and uh, it seems almost needlessly repetitive. But it contains an interesting word. It, it, it's the word tohu. And uh, the first time we encounter this word tohu is Genesis in Genesis 1. Genesis 1-2. And the earth became tohu labohu, uh-huh. uh, void and formless. It, it literally means wilderness. And uh, so do not turn aside against, you know, for empty things, for wilderness. And the wilderness, you, what you've got to remember about that is that's the place of chaos. Mm-hmm. This is a place where evil and bad things ran amok and they weren't checked. They, they, they weren't under the rule of God. And so they did whatever they wished. And, and the, the goal of many, many ancient Near Eastern religions was to keep this chaos at bay. And matter of fact, that's how a lot of the creation stories started, not just in the Bible, but a lot of the creation stories started with the idea that chaos 
was the monster that needed to be defeated in order for creation to happen. Mm-hmm. So he's saying, you know, don't fall into chaos. Don't don't allow evil to to rule your life, and th- because evil is powerless in Israel, the only way evil and and chaos has power over you as an Israelite is if you let it. Mm-hmm. And so this this is not a denial of other gods' powers. It is saying that only God has power in Israel. If you try to chase after these other gods in Israel, they're not going to be able to help you. They're they're not going to be able to to save or deliver you because they have no power in this land. So he he's reminding them of this, and you've got to go back to the idea that God really is the ultimate king over Israel. So, verse 22, For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. So, you know, he's reminding them, this is who you are. This is your identity. And this is the only thing you've got to cling to for any kind of security or salvation. And I think we need to remember that as Christians. And remembering that nobody can touch the people of Israel unless they go through God. Whether we're talking other human beings and other nations that come in to oppress, or we're talking other gods that try to come in and oppress. Mm -hmm. So if anybody gets to the nation of Israel, it's their own fault. So, verse 23, Samuel promises to continue to pray for the people. And he says it would be a sin if he didn't pray for them. And he promised to continue to instruct them in what's good and right. Because despite the fact that Samuel's pretty impatient with the people as a whole, mm-hmm. um, he, he still knows his place. He's still going to be obedient. And I think that's one of the reasons why he's remembered as a great prophet. It isn't that he had this great attitude. Uh, I saw a picture on Facebook this morning. It says, fine, I'll do it by my cuss the whole time. Um, you know? <laughs> kind of Samuel's yeah. Yeah, kind of general motif. Maybe not literally cussing the whole time, but just kind of. Well, there's there's no cuss words in Hebrew, so. That's fair enough, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Very so, Western uh, proclivity. Yeah, at least European. So we'll. We'll talk about that later, but yeah, we, we like the, we like to make things uh, separate and uh, unique and special that well, aren't and supposed that, to be. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> no, well, no, that's a good point because you know in Hebrew there aren't any cuss words because the whole language is sacred. The language itself is sacred. Mm-hmm. You 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 can't have a profane language because language has power, and so mm-hmm. we we need to remember that because I think it's true of all languages, not just Hebrew language has power and you know the power of death and life not life and death but death and life are in in the tongue so that's what our bible says but you know the the thing is with samuel even though he's having a hard time with the people and he he's pushing back and he he's trying to to get them to line up and he is kind of grumpy about it he still obeys because as a prophet, who the one who has that experience of God's heart, what God loves, Samuel loves. And Samuel does love the nation of Israel, and he does love Saul, and he, he wants the best for them. And that's the reason why all of this is so painful, and this is why he's lashing out in anger all the time, because they keep hurting things that he loves. Mm-hmm. They hurt each other, and they hurt God. And as a prophet, he can't, he can't just sit back and say, oh, well, you know, guys, not a good idea. He, right. He's going to get up in their faces. And 
that was you know the Heschel quote I read in a couple of episodes ago. So he he says, "I'm going to stay here with you." And, and again, Dad moved. I mean, how many times did Dad not approve of the things we did? But he's like, you know, I'm here. I'm going to tell you what I think, but then I'm going to shut up and let you be you. Right, right. So, I'll tell you what I think. I'm not going to help you with it, but. <laughs> right. Yeah. But if, if, Hope that if, works out for the best. Yeah, but if the world falls apart and you decide you want to come home, come home. And that's, mm-hmm. and I, you know, and I do think that's one of the things that, and this is kind of a side note uh, uh, to, to everything we've been talking about. That's that's why I think it really the idea of repentance makes a lot of sense uh, to us is because we always did have you know no you know, none of us really like went out and rebelled and went crazy but there was always that assurance that hey you can come home just come home yeah it's that simple mm-hmm. and and that's all mm-hmm. it was so anyway uh, without having you know, I- you know, well, think- so so to me, like the concept. I'm sorry. To me, the concept's pretty simple without having to get super esoteric and 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 bring in a whole lot of extra theological baggage to it. Right. Just, just do what's on the page. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, we were very blessed in that regard because you know there were times that things went wrong, and you even if I couldn't come home, all I had to do was call, and Dad was right there. So mm-hmm. you know, I know a lot of people didn't have that. Uh, and you know, that, that's sad because that's not the way it's supposed to be. And that's not the, you know, when you don't have that, it's hard to see God as being that kind of father. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I think it's very easy sometimes for me to relate to God as father because we did have a good dad. I mean, was he perfect? Absolutely not. And there were times I wanted to wring his neck, but you know, the fact that we were loved was never anything in doubt. And I, right. I think if we could, if more people had that experience, then most of us Christians could shut up. So, right, but right. Just <laughs> so we're almost to the end. Verses twenty four and twenty five conclude, and and kind of there's a little summation of the speech. A you know, summary. fear. Some a summation, summary, both work. Proper English. <laughs> so fear and serve the Lord. Remember what He's done. Curses if you fail to obey Him, and that curse is really interesting because it says you and your king will be swept away. So um, a reminder that, again, everything that touches Israel has to pass through the hands of God. God is not afraid to do what's necessary to, to um, chastise and correct his people. He, he's not going to coddle them. He expects certain things from them. And, but the king is not exempt either. He has no special, um, special standing before, the, before God. And basically, what Samuel's done with this whole speech, he has nullified the king as a power mm-hmm. of authority and pa- as a figure of power and authority. I mean, he has stripped away any mistaken idea that Saul might have had that his his will meant anything, or he should have been. If Saul was listening, that's what he should have heard, or or, or that he was the representative of God like other kings would be for their nations. And yeah. And and I think it is it is following that theme of if this is what you want, take it, because he is by you know, by the time you're done, you're like, this is the kind of guy you were left with and mm-hmm. you're stupid to follow him, but go ahead and follow him. <laughs> well yeah, and, and you know, all he is at this point after after Samuel gets done saying his piece, 
we see that Saul's nothing more than a figurehead. He, and like you said, he's not that representative of God, because if he was the representative of a God, then God would speak to him. And it's interesting mm -hmm. that the kings are not prophets. The kings have to rely on an outside source. And so he's going to be this figurehead, but he's also going to be a hardship to the people. It's like you wanted him. So here's what you get. You get taxes. He's going to conscript your animals. He's going to take servants and slaves. And he's going to do all these building projects that is going to require your best craftsmen not mm -hmm. be available to the rest of the nation. But the king can't save. That's the whole point of what Samuel's saying. The king can't save you. Only God can save you. And the only way that you're going to hear how God wants to save you is if you listen to the voice of the prophet. Mm -hmm. The voice of the prophet's going to be the final word in what God is doing in the nation because only the prophet speaks for God. So it's his whole, his whole speech, even though he's saying, hey, I'm stepping back as a judge, it's kind of like, sorry about what you're left with. There's, there's not any kind of um, celebration for what's going on in the nation at this point. Right. Right. Um, and I don't know where we are time-wise. Uh, we're, but... we're right about an hour. We're a little over, okay. but I think we're, we're good. So did you have anything else you wanted to throw out real quick? Or do you think that's a uh, break? Uh, yeah, I think that's where we'll stop, and then we'll uh, jump into chapter 13 next week. Okay. And uh, I really just can't wait to get to uh, chapter 14, but we'll, we'll, we will cover 13 just because it's the right thing to do. Well, it's, it's, in, it's in the next step, but, you know, the, <laughs> but it'll be there, you know. So, um, yeah, that sounds good. Well, everyone, thank you for joining us. I know things are uh, a little rocky right now, and <laughs> I hope that didn't affect the show too much. I hope you're still hanging with us. Um, and I uh, hope you still enjoy it. <laughs> if you do, <laughs> again, I don't know how to close these. I think it might be worse now that I'm on my own because I can't see Emily. Um, so I, I feel a little awkward. Um, so anyway, no, if you enjoyed it, uh, if you want to be part of it, uh, please be part of the conversation on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Raven Creek SC. Uh, hit ravencreeksc.com where you can find our other shows, uh, uh, Commentarians with uh, Joe Zaragoza and uh, Change My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. And mm -hmm. you can also find a support link there if uh, you are doing well and want to support us. That's all well and good. Um, if not, um, we do encourage you just find some local charities, find some local businesses, someone you can support through all this, um, take care of families. Um, you know, hopefully... Uh, Something will break free soon. It's uh, yeah. been a little nuts. We're not going to comment too much on it. Um, I feel like there's lots of good, incredible voices doing a lot of good work in the area. We did have someone ask we're going to do a show devoted to the COVID-19 outbreak, and it's not our field. So um, no. we would just be kind of contributing noise. Right. <laughs> so anyway, well, everyone, uh, again, thank you so much. And please uh, join us next Monday. We will be back, um, and we'll hopefully have a show for you. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on iTunes or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. As always, thank you for listening and don't forget to join us next